to Quarantine Chats, episode 43. We are joined by Cal State Fullerton Athletic Director Jim Donovan. Jim Donovan has played for the University of Hawaii as well. Fun fact for Isaiah here, who is an avid Warriors fan, grew up in Hawaii, grew up a Rainbow Warriors loyal um, fan, and he's also been an athletic director for the University of Hawaii. How are you doing today, Jim? Good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, great to have you on. How's everything uh, going with the situation we're having now, which is kind of the first thing we've seen in about 102 years now? It's it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, we there's nothing in our playbook for this. We we got you know we got uh, natural disasters and other things that we we take a look at, but uh, we did not have pandemic in our, our go-to sheet. So. Um, We've just been dealing with it and, and, and learning and, and mushing and moving along as best we can. Yeah, it's really tough because, you know, the last time we had this pandemic, um, a lot of people, they weren't even alive to witness that at the time. And the technology is just so different nowadays. And that can be both a blessing and a curse. You have better medical technologies. You have better software technologies to really help with the response time. But at the same time, people are flowing back and forth from different places at a greater pace than ever before. Yeah, um, the thing I sort of notice is it's still a virus. It's still um, when they had the, uh, the what the epidemic of uh, 1918, um, you know, same deal. It still moves through the population. I think the one thing that has affected all of us with the Internet age and, and just technology where it is today we, we get so much information, we get everything so quickly. Even, even if things load up too slow, we get upset. So <laughs> I think maybe, maybe yeah. 100 years ago, they might have had more patience than we do today. I, I tell you, man, it was a couple months of safer at home and I think everybody was like, enough of this. And uh, the virus is still out there, but everybody's just tired of staying at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about loading up slowly, I had a little bit of that earlier today, but I'm glad we got started now. Yeah, it, it, you know, and then that's another thing too. Everybody's using Zoom and, you know, we can, it, it's a verb now, Zooming, um, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it, it bogs down the local systems, it bogs down, you know, big systems and you just deal with it. I noticed yeah. between 10 a.m. Um, Pacific Standard Time, 10 a.m. and about 2 p.m., it really gets clunky. Um, outside of that, not so bad. Yeah, yeah, well, um, we'll get started with Isaiah's billion dollar question. Yeah, so Jim, uh, as Steven said earlier, uh, just want to say thank you for taking uh, some time out of your enormously busy schedule to join us. Uh, we really appreciate that. Before I get into my first question, um, I want to ask you to chime in on a debate that's been going on recently. I know that you grew up in Southern California. You moved to Hawaii, and then you lived there for a while before moving back to Southern California. So right now, there's a lot of people that lived in Hawaii for a while, they would go to California and they would just have this debate between what is the better food between the local moko, which is if for people out there that don't know, it's a Hawaiian style lunch plate, which features rice, a hamburger patty, a sunny side up egg and gravy with macaroni salad. It's really delicious. Really recommend you all try 
when you guys visit Hawaii. But Jim, what would you say is the better one, the local moco or the In-N-Out burger? I got to go local moco. Um, you know, In-N-Out is fantastic. I love it. In fact, everybody that leaves Hawaii comes straight here. And the first thing they ask is, where's the nearest In-N-Out? They hit In-N-Out every time. But, uh, um, you know, local food, plate lunches, oh, they're the bomb. They're the best. I, use, I, I was a chicken katsu um, guy. And uh, when I was playing football at UH, I could eat two full chicken katsu plates for lunch. Wow. So, found it. Wow, that's a lot of yeah, uh, totally. fuel for you right there. Jim, I, I totally agree with you, man. Hawaiian barbecue is absolutely the best. My favorite is the uh, ter- the barbecue chicken with the rice and the macaroni salad. That's really good. But uh, to my first question, so I want to start, as Stephen mentioned earlier, with the billion-dollar question, and that is, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic that is going on right now, a lot of college sports fans are wondering this. Will we have a fall sports season this year? I honestly think it's going to be a mixed bag. There's some schools that have already committed to um, uh, at least they're leaning hard to playing sports. Um, You know, something I don't know that you guys have ever talked about, but there's three official divisions of the NCAA, one, two, and three. But even in division one, there's sort of like three stratas now. You've got the power five, You've got the non-Power 5, but they have football programs, and then you have everybody else. The Power 5 institutions, um, they have television contracts that generate 20 to $25 million a year on the low end to a high of like the SEC gets, I think, $53 million a year per school for their football and men's basketball rights. So, you know, to walk away from $53 million, I don't think they're going to do it. I think the SEC is going to play football. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the other Power Five schools play football because it's just too much money. Um, now you get to the um, Mountain West and some of the other um, programs, they're probably only making two and a half, three and a half million dollars a year from the television contract. So it's, it's a little bit easier to walk away. And then when you get to Cal State Fullerton, which is Division One without football, we don't get any TV money. So um, it's not the economic driver for us. But to answer your question, I think it's going to be a mixed bag. I think you're going to see some schools playing, especially football for the money, and then you'll see some schools not playing. I don't know where we're going to be yet, where the Big West is going to be. I think the uh, CEOs of the Big West institutions are probably going to take a position on the next month or two. Yeah, it'll be very, Um, very tough and – Ryan and I are both Ohio State alum. We do not envision the Big Ten taking any time off from sports. They got to social distance or they got to space out the stadiums. They got to do what they got to do and continue to drive that TV revenue like you mentioned. Well, they make a ton of money off of their gate too. I mean, God, the horseshoe does it hold 106,000 or something. They have 106 to 110,000. Yeah, it's got to be making like eight to ten million dollars a game. They must play what, probably seven or eight home games on average. Right. So yeah, that's a fair chunk of change. You add that to probably the Big Tens, probably in the fifty million dollar range of their TV package. There's a lot of incentive to try and play. Oh yeah, Isaiah, you had something to add? Steven, you're still there. 
Yes, we're still there. I think we may be having some technical difficulties, but. Yeah, while we have Isaiah on the hold there. So we talked a lot about, you know, the NCAA season in regards to sports. But as we all know now, the CSUs have actually shut down the majority of in-person instruction for the fall 2020 semester. So as an athletic director and, you know, being in charge of some of those student athletes, what are going to be some of the challenges and making sure that those student athletes meet academic goals? Well, you know, we, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but we went remote in early March and you'd think that that would make it tougher for the student athletes to do well academically. But we had our best grade point average in the history of Cal State Fullerton at the end of the spring semester, our all student athlete GPA is 3.32. So what it did was they didn't have anything else to do. They were stuck at home. So they focused on their academics and they, they attended all their Zoom classes and, and they did really, really well. We're super proud of the student athletes and the coaches and the administrative uh, athletic academic services staff um, for um, focusing in on that. Um, I assume in the fall, it would be the same thing again if they're not back on campus. We're hopeful. Um, you mentioned the CSU, the chancellor's office, um, you know, said that they wanted uh, teaching uh, academics to be primarily um, remote with some happening back on campus and that right. each campus could submit a, a, an exemption request to have different things on campus. And one of the specific areas was intercollegiate athletics. So we have developed a plan um, we've submitted it. Uh, if it gets approved, it, it's four phases. The fourth phase has the teams practicing. Um, after that, we would potentially look at um, spectators competition in the fall. But um, I really think that the, the presidents of the Big West are, are going to make a holistic decision. Yes, you can have spectator sports. No, we're not going to have intercollegiate competition. Yes, you can have skills training or strength and conditioning. So I think, I personally think that's where we're headed. Yeah, and 3.32, that is an amazing accomplishment for your athletes. Congratulations, Jim. That's, you know, that's not too far from my college GPA. So um, I just want to congratulate you on a fantastic academic semester for your student athletes. And hopefully they come back in fall 2020 if they're able to play stronger than ever before. Yes, it was, it's a really good GPA, um, way better than my undergrad GPA. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, back in those days, you weren't uh, seeing as many, you know, straight A students just yet. College was have, a little bit, you know, harder to come across. Yeah, we didn't have APR. We didn't have academic progress rate. In fact, we used to joke that uh, our main goal was just to remain eligible. Well, I mean, when you got the passion for the game, and that's kind of the main thing driving with you, I think uh, it's definitely a very rewarding thing to focus on those athletics as a student athlete and just kind of hound at that. But always got to, you know, keep in mind and uh, keep that progress up and remind them that, you know, 
sports life is not forever and uh, academics can go a long way for your future careers. Yeah, we have 350 student athletes in a really good year, maybe six, eight of them will go pro. So, you know, we, t we really stress to them that um, your degree and your academic success is something that you can leverage for the next 40, 50 years. Um, if you're lucky enough to go pro, you know, you might go five, 10, 15 years max. Um, and then you still are gonna need something to follow back on and, and the, ac the academics will still be there for you. Yeah, for sure. And you know, gotta be one of the most rewarding things as an athletic director to see this kind of progress. But that brings us to Ryan's question. Yes, so my question is simply this. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect about being an athletic director? You know, um, to answer your question just directly, seeing the young men and women come in um, as freshmen, develop uh, their leadership skills, their character, uh, their perseverance, um, you know, their, their ability to uh, make a plan, uh, especially to re react to adversity. I think that's one of the great things that collegiate athletics teaches you. And they, they, when they leave with their degree, you've really set them, they have set themselves and you've helped set them on a path for success for the rest of their life, whether it's, um, you know, just leading their family or whether it's going in and being an integral part of a um, business or possibly even someday being a CEO or politician. Um, and we've had um, numerous presidents that had played intercollegiate athletics. Um, so it's, it's a, I tell people all the time, intercollegiate athletics is a leadership laboratory. Um, we're turning out uh, the future leaders. And for me, um, I certainly love beating our rivals. just uh, with Titan baseball is, you know, awesome. We went to March Madness with our basketball team a couple of years ago, but really seeing the student athletes leave with the degree successful and all the lessons that they've learned, that's, that's really um, what uh, is my passion. Yeah, I never played sports in college because I was clearly not good enough. But one of the things I'd assume is like one of the bigger things they are taught, college athletes, that is, is dedication because college was hard enough for me and I didn't have a sport to play throughout the entirety of the year because nowadays with like tra off-season training programs, it's a year-long thing from what I've heard. And it just amazes me how these athletes can – gets such good grades as you said your student athletes got 3.2 gpa which is hard enough to get just alone without a sport added on to it so i've always found that to be just absolutely fascinating but this leads me right into my second question how do you help these student athletes and coaches balance out the rigors of their academic life and help them achieve the best level of competition they can in the sporting realm? Well, the NCAA actually came up with something a few years back. I think it's maybe about five years ago. It's called TMP, Time Management Program. And so it, it limits the amount of time uh, that you can practice per week to 20 hours plus if you have an actual competition. Um, uh, your coach has to um, provide that schedule to you uh, well in advance. They have to notify you at least 48 hours 
in advance of any changes. They can notify you in less than 48 hours, but it takes an approval process of the sports supervisor, or even myself, the athletic director, to move something with inside um, 24 hours. And for a good reason, we will. But the whole reason that the NCAA came up with this is to strictly limit how much time they were putting into sports and for them to be able to plan the rest of their life. Because like you said, it's very difficult um, to do what you need to do year round um, to be successful at the division one intercollegiate athletic level for sure and do well in school. And I, and I think the time management program is just, it's been awesome. It, it was a little bit of a hassle to implement it first for the coaches, student athletes, uh, we're a little confused at first, but now it's uh, going, I think this will be going into its fourth year this upcoming um, fall, and it's, it's really hitting its stride, and it's been great for our young men and women um, to be able to schedule their lives. And as you said, um, they've got to they've have a good dose of perseverance, and they've got to have some time management skills because it's tough balancing everything. Yeah, I didn't know about that program. That's like a fantastic genius idea, in fact. So, yeah, that's like a really good – or that's really good on the NCAA to enact a program like that. Yeah, when I played, we didn't have that. We practiced about 40 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a little bit uh, like a profession. But um, – 20 hours a week is more than enough time for um, a student athlete to get conditioned and get uh, their skill up to the level they need to be successful. And that still leaves quite a bit of time for them to go to class and do homework and everything, and even run to the store or some other, you know, if they want to go down and hit the beach and body surf, they'll have some time to do that. Well, it's great to hear that the NCAA is dedicating more of its resources to helping these student athletes with the, school sport life balance but for the next question i we're going to go to isaiah he has a person he has a question that he's personally very interested in hearing the answer yeah thank you ryan um jim ever since you've started as athletic director of cal state fullerton you've had a lot of athletes come through this great university and then they've gone on to accomplish a lot of great things one of those athletes is Matt Chapman, who happens to be the star third baseman for one of my favorite teams, the Oakland Athletics. In fact, um, I wish I could have had my camera on. I wish the internet didn't crap out, but I have a bobblehead of Matt Chapman right here next to me. Um, did you see him becoming this great player while in college? And if so, what do you think about him separated him from his peers? Well, um, while he was here, uh, I, I was able to watch him when he was a sophomore and a junior. His nickname was Chappy, and uh, Chappy, he yeah. he he had great, yeah, he had great range, uh, unbelievable arm, uh, real focus and dedication. Just a just a old-fashioned baseball player um, in many uh, respects. Um, did really well for us. Just tore the ball up at the plate too, and uh, got drafted in the first round in uh i think it was 2014 and um you know very quickly ascended through i think he went um he went single a ball and then right to triple a ball and then up to the a's and of course he's got i think two golden gloves he's they some people claim he's the best defensive player certainly at third base in all of major league baseball right now 
Um, he comes down. We have a fundraiser for our baseball team every January. It's called Dinner with the Titans, and he's come down pretty much every year since he's made it up to the A's. And uh, he's supportive, great guy. Uh, and, and like I said, just his nickname for us was Chappie, but I'm pretty sure now it's just Mr. Chapman because the guy's a stud. Well, uh, Jim, well, about his nickname, he's, his nickname still with the A's is uh, Chappie as well, which is a great thing. Um, but, you know, I work for the A's as an usher, so I watch him like every game, and he's just really fun to watch. This guy makes one of the best defensive plays I've ever seen, and, you know, he's just really good with the bat as well. But, um, yeah, um, the next question I'll go to Steven. Go ahead, Steven. Yeah, so – uh, do you guys have any future plans to bring back the football program? Well, to be honest with you, probably not. That's what I tell everybody. If someone gave us a gift, an endowment of like $120 million a year, uh, we could probably pull it off. Um, just to put a team together to, to be uh, in the Mountain West, for example, probably would cost about 10 to $12 million a year from an operations standpoint. With Title IX and gender equity, We'd have to start probably three or four women's programs to match those opportunities uh, that football had. And that would probably cost us about another six or seven million. So you're, you're talking 17 million a year. Right now, our total budget for all of our sports is 15 million. So we'd have to more than double our budget yeah. to be able to. And we just, we don't have that kind of money. And um, so, I, I, like I said, unless someone came along, and there's a couple of Titan alums. They could make a donation like that, but they haven't yet. And uh, if they ever did, then we'd certainly look at it. I love football. I play football. So, um, but just the economics of it um, with Title IX and gender equity um, layered on top of it, it, it's not a reality. Yeah, that football program is really, really expensive to fund. You know, not every program out there has kind of the money that Alabama has flowing through it or Auburn, these SEC teams that you mentioned. I mean, $50 million plus TV deals really goes a long way. Yes, it does. Yeah, which brings me to, you know, my final question here, which is you're a University of Hawaii alum, former football player, and you're also a former athletic director at University of Hawaii. What's the biggest difference you see in terms of the culture at a school like Hawaii and at some of the CSUs around the country? Well, I'll, I will say this, that uh, I'm very impressed with Cal State Fullerton and the amount of support that we receive from the community and the alums, and, and frankly, even now from campus, from whether it be up at the cabinet level or just professors or um, staff on campus, it's, it's been awesome to watch. Um, our program has you know, steadily improved. We won the Commissioner's Cup, which is the mythical best program in the conference a couple of years ago. I really think we were on track to win it again this year, but we got canceled out by COVID-19. Um, I think if you had to look at differences between the University of Hawaii and like Cal State Fullerton or most Cal States, University of Hawaii is the only game in town. They're sort of like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Dodgers, UC, UCLA, the Ducks, all wrapped into one because they don't have any professional sports in Hawaii. So yeah. you love UH or you got nothing to love because that's all they got. here. You know, we're seven miles up the road from the Angels on the 57 freeway. And I, I, I get amazed when we're playing um, 
Long Beach State, we'll have 3,000, 3,500 people on the stands going crazy. And the Angels are playing that night and they'll have uh, 40,000 at the Big A. And so um, it's different for us. Um, if you look at the Orange County Register, they cover USC and UCLA and they don't have anything in there about UCI or Cal State Fullerton. So we're, we're sometimes lost in that um, professional noise and in, even with the Pac-12 um, uh, at our level. But I, I will tell you, um, we're turning out a lot of really good um, uh, athletes and, and for sure Titan baseball and even now Titan softball. When the season ended for Titan softball, the NCAA had their RPI 17 in the country. So, um, uh, you know, we're, we're doing some good things, but Hawaii is the only game in town. So that, that's the real difference. And Hawaii does it really, really well. Their fans, um, as, I, as I will tell you, that their fans are, are some of the best in the world. Well, you know, both excellent programs for sure. And, you know, Jim, you mentioned baseball and football at Hawaii. We would really appreciate it if you sent some of your great athletes over to the great state of Minnesota, my Minnesota Vikings and Timberwolves, always in desperate need of superstar help. Yes, I love the Vikings, but I really would date myself. I love the fearsome foursome, the purple people eaters, those guys when the Vikings yes. were um, And Fran Tarkington, who just, uh, he never quit. The man was, uh, I remember, and like I said, this is really dating myself, but some great games with Roger Staubach and um, and uh, but the Vikings, they're they're a very storied, very storied program. They just need that Super Bowl. Isaiah's always dogging me on that. Okay, <laughs> go ahead, Isaiah. All right, um, Jim. Uh, to wrap it up before we let you go, I just want to ask you one final question, and that is, I know. Uh, before the show, you know, you told me that you were a huge Laker fan. So I got to put you on the spot here. With the NBA coming back, do you think that LeBron James will lead the Los Angeles Lakers to that 17th NBA title? Or do you think the neighbor Clippers got it this year? I wouldn't count LeBron James and the Lakers out. I, I, I don't think they've got the driver's seat, but they certainly have the talent to win it all. And, um, you know, LeBron James is, uh, you know, one of the best NBA basketball players of all time. Some would say the greatest of all time. Um, that's, that's tough because there's been so many great ones. But I, I will say, don't count them out. I, 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 don't, I think if you were looking at the Vegas betting line, the Lakers probably aren't the favorite, but they got every chance to win it all. And, of course, the Clippers are great, too. Yeah, you know what? When it comes to basketball, you've been blessed, Jim, because you've grown up on guys like, Magic Johnson, Will, and Michael Jordan. What we got in this generation is really LeBron James propelling us forward, and of course Kobe. But if LeBron James can get one or two more titles, make the case for our generation of basketball, it'd be amazing to say, I witnessed the greatest of all time, and so did Ryan and Isaiah. Yep, and he's got the talent. He's got the talent. He's, and, and, uh, and he's, got, he, he's got it. He's got what it takes. So we'll see. hopefully it happens. I'd love to see the Lakers win another one. Yeah, yeah, it'd be amazing. Good luck to LeBron James and the Lakers. And, Jim, good luck to uh, Cal State Fullerton um, athletes and the students and the staff. Hope for an amazing fall 2020 for you guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on uh, Quarantine Chats. And uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful Aloha Friday 
evening. Yep, this is guys, this has been an amazing uh, Quarantine Chats episode 43. We're very honored to have Jim on. Um, have a great weekend, Jim, and uh, you know, stay safe out there. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, Jim, for coming thank on. Thank you, Jim, for coming on. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. All right, I will leave you guys with some blinding lights. Cause I can see the sunlight up the sky So I